calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. It's time for the Life Writing Podcast with your hosts, authors and screenwriters Stephen Barnes and Tanana Reeve Du. All about creating the project of your dreams while living a balanced artist life. Be the hero or heroine of your own story. Sponsored by LifeWritingPremium.com. Get ready to write for your life. Welcome to the Life Writing Podcast, where married authors and screenwriters Stephen Barnes and Tanana Reeve do talk about writing during stressful times, breaking into Hollywood, and balancing life. Every week, we'll share more tips on how to build a better life while you create your dream projects. Even if it's only at the rate of a sentence a day, life writing is the application of the tools of writing to life and the tools of life to your writing. Hey, here we are. How are you? You know, the last, you know, I think we both realized that the last couple of months have been even more intense than we thought. And yes. they've, they've had a cost on us. So I think Woo. this weekend is going to be a time of chilling out because we've got all these different projects and there's the stress of having worked so hard and so long to move these projects into place. And hopefully people who've been listening to this program will start getting a sense of how long it takes to get things going. But it's one thing if you're sitting on your butt it's another thing if you're working and not getting results. But mm-hmm. when you're working and getting results and you're still waiting for those contracts and you know to, to get through, oh my God. Yeah, you could grow a tree in the time it takes to get the contract turned around or the it check. Is. And it's <laughs> frustrating because it feels like you're doing everything right. You know, by other people's definitions, you know, you're you're in a fantastic position. All I can say is thank God we put all that money aside last year. Yes, we, it's a good thing. Yeah, what else can I say? It's a good thing. Waiting is not fun. Waiting is not fun. But no. so, what are you? What, you just you just got finished with something. You want to, want to talk I about did. I just finished writing a novelette, which will be in my short story collection coming out from coming out next year. It, the Wishing Pool and other stories is coming out next year. And I just came back from visiting my dad in Atlanta, where I had a peak experience that I want to thank you for publicly, darling, because Pleasure. I was. Lamenting the fact 
that my book, The Reformatory, which you heard me mention many times on this podcast, it took me seven years to write, partially because I was learning screenwriting during that time, but also partially because it was a very difficult subject, the Dozier School for Boys. My great uncle died there in the 1930s. I wanted to write a novel to give him a better story, basically. And my dad was on the road with me for many, many trips to Mariana, Florida, to meetings, to go to the Dozier School, the shell of the Dozier School that is left behind. I can't count, maybe five or six trips we took at least over the years. What was the Dozier School, honey? The Dozier School for Boys was a horrible, horrible concentration camp for children that was run in Jackson County, Mariana, Florida, between about the years 2000, I mean, I'm sorry, 1900 and 2011. It was open for more than 100 years fraught with complaints from the beginning. You know, there are all kinds of letters on file, children being chained. I mean, just ridiculous. And and the things that you got sent there for could range from you're an orphan (laughs) to you ran away from home to other petty crimes and whatnot. And they could keep you until you were 21. And because they got paid by the number of students there, they had no incentive to let them go. In fact, one of the superintendents was complaining that the crops were coming in too slowly. They didn't have enough kids to, to, to pick the corn. So it was literally a work camp for children that had classrooms. They called it a school. It was a camp. And I had a, a great uncle who died there. I heard about back in 2013, I guess it was, and decided to write this novel. And my father, John Dew, a civil rights activist, it wasn't his family, but of course he was all over that in terms of just the outrage that this place ever existed. And it had Black students and white students who were segregated. And my father, unfortunately, now has some dementia, memory loss, mobility issues. And I really wanted to show him this book as a gift. It was supposed to come out in September. That was, I I had a mock cover, everything coming out in September. And then I got the word that it was delayed. And that was so disappointing. I know. Audience, I am as outraged as you are. Okay, but I'm more disappointed than outraged. And you came up with this lovely notion. And that's, I swear, because when you're stressed out, you can only think of a few things at a time. So some things don't come to you. You said, sweetheart, print him a copy of the book yourself. Hello. And that's exactly what I I have the cover. I had the mock-up of the cover, which is gorgeous. I'm not going to do a cover reveal now, but I gave him the cover the whole book. And on the back, I have a photograph of the two of us at the gravesite at the Dozier School, which they called Boot Hill, on one of our father-daughter trips. And I read him a chapter. My sister, who's with him now, is reading him chapters. And I have to tell you, honey, my heart is so full. And thank you so much. Yeah. I mean, that's just a truth of the fact that loss is a part of life. And I, you know, I'm hoping your father, your dad will be here. You know, it's going to stabilize, get better and be here for another decade. He could outlive us all. He has longevity. Wouldn't that be lovely? As long as he's able to enjoy life and feel like he's engaging. But the one thing that we know is we will lose everything that we love. And so what's critical is that we love them while they're here. Exactly. You know, that we let them know how much we love them. And I think that, that you sisters have gone out there and you have shown your dad in every conceivable way that, you know, he's your guy, you know, he's, he's your ideal man. And I, I'm honored that he considers me a son. Yeah. I'm honored to be a part of a family as strong 
as your family. So I, I'm glad I was able to come up with a suggestion that in any small way facilitated your ability to interact with him and show him not only that his life has mattered, but that you are strong and you will always remember. I mean, that's that's the subtextual communication going on there, that he matters. Yes, thank you, honey. And and I'm just so thrilled to gain the lesson on aging and even becoming, you know, more diminished, changing, deteriorating, for lack of a better word, and how you confront that with humor and grace and clinging to as much of yourself as possible along the way. And that is my dad. So despite all the things I've said about the memory loss and, you know, he doesn't have the attention span to read a voracious reader in life, but now not so much, doesn't have the attention span. So I was reading to him, but I had him read the last word of the chapter that he helped me plan and design in earlier days. He was a civil rights attorney back in the 1960s. My novel is set in 1950, but he took the lessons and principles that he used as a Black attorney trying to reason with Jim Crow judges and their psychology and what, how you create rapport with them. I put all that in the scene and I read that scene to my father and then I told him to read the very last line of the chapter when my one of my protagonists is basically saying goodbye to the lawyer and she's noting his scent, which smelled like freedom, she said. And my, I had I had my dad read that because he calls himself a freedom lawyer. So I didn't even realize it at the time, but it's like, oh, I put that in there, especially for him, all these little Easter eggs for him. And when he read it out loud, a scent like freedom, he said, capitalize the F in freedom. Still giving me notes. <laughs> Still giving me notes. So I just was like, thank you, Dad, for that. Thank you, Steve. And we have an amazing guest, Colette Friedman, coming up. But before we bring Colette in, is there anything you wanted to talk about that you're working on that's been going on in your life? Well, you know, we have the television series things that, that people are interested in and contracts are being drawn up for. We have, you know, podcast things that we're doing that are, you know, moving our career forward and our lives forward in a different way. This little band is about to get signed to a label, baby. That's right. That's right. You know, and I've got you know a couple of scripts, a script that I'm working on just for, and a short story that I'm working on with Larry Niven. So there's a lot of different things, and I'm always playing around with my exercise routine. So I think I made some breakthroughs there. But one of the things I wanted to to look at was the script that I'm working on. Let's not talk about it too much, but let's just say that our representatives felt that it was not ready for prime time, that there was something about that script that would not go over well in in Hollywood. We won't go into what that is, although at some point we may discuss that. But there is a, a creator, producer of graphic novels that is interested in the story. And we just found out about a horror anthology that I've been invited to at, at you know, we've both been invited to. And I think that it's going to be possible to carve a short story out of this novel. I just need to... IP, baby, IP. Yeah, well, there are some things about it that I want to talk to you about. I want to be very careful. I tend to, you know, if, if, if horror is the thought, and I tend more towards suspense and action... In some ways, I want to make sure that I that I touch the right notes. And so what I've decided to do, and I, I asked you about, was select for me a piece of your writing. You know, you're the queen of black horror. There, I'm <laughs> the house. Oh, so you know, select a piece of your writing, a short story or something like this. We talk about how the sto- we want the story to end, 
so that it has the right tone, and then show me something that you feel exhibited an aspect of the way you approach story that would be useful for me to learn. I mean, there are things that you do that I don't do. And, and so things I, you do I, that I, mean, I don't I can, do. Yeah, I know. It, it, yeah. It's, like that, it's that thing of how much can I learn if I drop my ego and ask you, how did you do this? How did you I, pull I, this off? Why does it work? I think I've identified a chapter that is a standalone chapter in one of my African Immortals novels. The only hesitation I have is that while it has the action in the heart, that horror thing, my philosophy is in order for a reader to experience horror, the protagonist should be experiencing horror as well. Yes. Fear. And yes. my immortals do not experience fear because they're freaking immortal. So, no. but I think that I think that we can talk it through. Yeah. And if I want a positive conclusion, and it's a fifteen-page story, right? It's approximately fifteen pages, five thousand words. Then we can plot it out together, and then you can show me where I have to bring the joy, or okay. where I have to bring yeah. the horror. And then you take a look at what I've done and help me understand how to bring it there. I mean, it's the same I, way that I talk to you about intrinsic as opposed to extrinsic and science fiction as opposed to horror. I I don't understand this, and I want to understand it better, at least partially so that when we're doing horror in these projects we're doing, I know how to turn my brain to think the way you think so that I can create a first draft that you don't have to rewrite a lot of, and that way we can move forward more rapidly. But well, you know, it, it's, it's that idea of using short stories to, to develop your skills. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that really is one of the topics we, we might be talking about today. Write all the things, the short stories, the, the graphic That's novels, right. the screenplays, the you novels. You know what you might end up being a genius at. You know, it, so what, if you, what if you had a skill you never knew and you never explored it because you were afraid to, to open that door? You know, so absolutely. Shall and I introduce our amazing guest? Our, 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 our guest, I want to say something that is extremely germane to that. And there's a people ask me what sort of writing classes they should take. And what I have said to them for a long time is don't take writing classes. Study journalism and acting. Because learning how to create characters and understand context intrinsically from the inside is the skill of the of the gifted writer so i think that acting holds a lot of the skills that we need as creative artists as writers so i'm just delighted with this conversation we're about to have i know and she's a delightful person not only a writer but has gave me my first stage experience since I was probably about nine years old a couple of years ago and a series of monologues that were written by unhoused people. And mine was a Michael Jackson impersonator. So I got to. That's right. Them. Oh, she was the one. She was, was the one. We saw you. Yes. Yes. So Colette Friedman is a novelist, playwright and screenwriter. Her plays and, and musicals have been done all over the world, including Serial Killer Barbie. I love that title. And yeah. Sister Cities which is on Netflix with Jackie Weaver, Alfred Molina, Stana Kedick. I think that's how you pronounce her name, Jess Wixler. She has produced a number of films and written several indie gems, including And Then There Was Eve, which won the Los Angeles Film Festival. She co-produced the film Quality Problems, which has also won several awards. Currently, she's in post-production for her upcoming coming-of-age film, Miles Underwater. Guess who has a little bit of a cameo in that film, too? Me. And really? she's a... Yes, that's the one, honey. 
that was a couple years ago too. I went out and yeah, I'll, I'll remind you because it was fun. I have okay. pictures and a top Hollywood script doctor and ghostwriter. She's also a faculty member, which is where we met at Antioch University, Los Angeles in the MFA program, NYFA and the Studio Arts, where she teaches screenwriting, playwriting, novel writing. Without further ado, the great and multi-talented Colette Friedman. Hold on. She's coming on. Okay, they they get a little overly excited. Let me ask you to unmute Colette because what's the fun if we can't hear your delightful voice? How are you? So thank you. So thank you for doing the show. I'm laughing so hard I, that I gave you your acting debut. When when you're a super famous actress, I I I can't wait to be thanked on some big stage somewhere. <laughs> I love that. You know, in my head, I'm an actor. Like I'm that person who like like does lines in the mirror or like if I'm watching a movie and I hear a misreading on a line I'm like I'm the one going ah you're supposed to say it like this in my head I'm such an actress but but, but you know what it's not just in your head I remember when you came and did the piece for me your joy and and enthusiasm and exuberance it was so palpable you were radiating like backstage you were it was hard not to be like drawn into your magnetism. You were just, you had so much joy that the audience felt it in their seats. And that's a lot of what being an actor is, is being so committed that that you almost demand the audience's attention, like daring them to turn away. And you did that because you were so committed to the piece. Well, thank you so much. And thank you again for inviting me to take part in that. And let's start with acting. What What's your experience with acting? How did, because... By way of background, when we were teaching in the Antioch MFA program back at the Santa Barbara campus, you did a workshop on improv for writers. Mm -hmm. And because I think I'm an actor, I decided I was going to attend, even though I'm faculty, I attended as if I was a student. (laughs) And it was the best, just most eye-opening experience because one of the guys I was paired with was actually a real actor, like he had experience and his talent helped me be better. Right. I just, I had that experience. You hear people talk about all the time where they're surrounded by casts that make them better. And I experienced that even in your little hour long workshop. So what is your relationship with acting? So I, I moved out to LA to be an actor. I was, I was going to be a super famous actor. And after years of playing girlfriend number two and prisoner number six and (laughs) sitting down the street, mowing their lawn, number 18. I did not know any of this. Yeah, that was, I, I toiled as an actor. I think my, my big claim to fame was one line on that 70s show that earned me a lot of residual money. Hey! Uh, then I wrote a 10 minute play for, because all actors moved to LA and joined theater companies and there are always too many actors and not enough parts in plays. So they always have 10 minute play workshops, which is why I also think all writers should write a play because they're always... People always need 10 minute plays. And so I wrote a play. I had that aha moment when when I was on the reading committee and I thought, oh, I can do better than this. And so I wrote a 10 minute play called First to the Egg about a nerdy sperm who convinced a self-important egg that he was the one. And I got to play the self-important egg and it blew up. You know, it won all these awards and we did a short film from it. And all of a sudden I'm thinking, what is the universe trying to tell me here? (laughs) After years of struggling as 
an actor, I, I just started writing and it came so naturally to me. And I think it's because I'd acted for so many years and I understood how to get into the skin of these characters. So it was very easy for me to just get them out, you know, typing in my hand. So yes, I, I strongly believe every single writer should take an acting class because it teaches you to write voices other than your own. You know, otherwise for me, every single person would sound like, you know, a badass feminist, okay, you know, coming from a, a Jewish middle class functional family in Baltimore. As an actor, as an improver, you get to play different characters and explore them in a really safe environment. And then you start writing them down and you find conflict. And and it's such a neat way to approach writing. So I'm a big fan of it. Mm, that's all great. I've, met, I've known so many act, so many writers who would talk about acting out scenes. Mm -hmm. And that was, I think that was one of the things that made me feel like actors, the set of skills that are necessary for writers are not necessarily taught in writing programs. They, there are aspects of it that are, but there are other things, you know, from the actual, how do you get a job? You know, how do you stay sane? How do you sell stuff? But yeah. the question of, of, Managing stress, performance, if you're pitching in Hollywood, you sometimes have to perform in the room. You have to actually give these people a sense that you understand the world that they move. And so acting seemed to me to be a discipline where if the acting teacher or the program has a connection with a theater program or a film program, or studios that there is some seepage from the professional to the amateur that is very useful for 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 writers. So I, you know, I would one of the things I would definitely love from you is maybe uh, the top three things that writers should understand about acting that they do not. You know, especially if you know writers who write for actors. You know, for instance, you know Robert McKee made the comment. That, act, that actors don't act the text, they act the subtext. So you yeah, have yes, to 100%. leave room. You know, yeah. you have to leave room with them. That sort of insight, I think, is an eye-opener. So I, I would just love it if you'd give us some wisdom. Well, I, I, I think that's, you know, that's kind of the number one, two, and three is writing subtext rather than text. When actors, one of the things I always teach my writers is get rid of the parentheticals. I know you want them to play angry or afraid or irritated. But the reality is an actor is going to bring so much more than you as the writer intend them to. So give them great subtext and then they're going to bring their own choices to it. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. 
So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so I think we're going to need a bigger boat. Or what is it? I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. Or frankly, Scarlett, I don't give a damn. Toto, I don't think we're in Kansas anymore. Those are all subtextual like lines which have gone down in history, some of the greatest lines ever said, because they're not saying exactly what they mean. I think a lot of times writers, and I think it's fine in, in a first draft, vomit out exactly what you mean. And I, I always tell people it's like baking a cake. Bake the cake as fast as you can. I don't I don't personally, and I, I apologize if I offend anyone, I don't believe in spending 20 years to write the great American novel. I think you can cram it out pretty quickly. Bake the cake. Everyone knows, you know, flour, sugar, baking powder. I mean, I don't bake. So but you're I'm just making me so it. hungry right now. <laughs> but then the time is spent frosting it. Okay. And that's when you take out all of the things on the nose and you think, how can I say this in a in it? What's the subtext involved? Because the you work side by side. The actor and the writer are going to work together with the director's help to, to bring the words alive on screen, on, you know, on the television, even on the page, you know, when you're reading a novel, it, it, the reader in their head is acting it out and, and imagining what's happening. So I, w- I would say the first thing is think subtext. The second thing, like, like you said, Stephen, it's you have to be able to pitch. And in Hollywood, they're hiring you. Everyone's talented. I mean, the three of us are talented. Everyone who's watching this podcast is talented. They want to work with people who they want to hang out with, who aren't crazy, who aren't needy, who aren't going to be problems. So that is my manager. I was in kind of a bad emotional space because I didn't have agents. I didn't have this. I didn't have that. And an agent that I used to know, Jonathan Westover, recommended a friend as a potential manager. And I met with him and I poured my heart out to him. And there was a point at which I, my pretender voices, my, you know, my, my imposter syndrome voice inside my head, you know, was like, why would anybody with any kind of capacity want to work with me? I, 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 hmm. I just didn't feel it. And so I asked him at one point, so why, why do you want to work with me? And he said something very interesting. He said, because you're an adult. Hmm. And I got what he was talking about, that he figured that when the inevitable stress hits, I wasn't going to turn into an asshole. <laughs> that, you know, with that thing you said about want to hang out with you, making a movie or a television series, that's years you're spending in the trenches with these people. Yeah. Who are you? You know, will will you be someone where when I go home at night after work, am I going to feel better about myself or am I going to need to take a shower? Yeah. You know, so yeah, that what you just said about about the fact that, that there is that there are relationships, being able to forge relationships is critically important. Is that a gift that acting brings? Actors certainly seem to create tribes when they're doing plays and movies. Oh gosh, they do. It's I, I miss that. It's it's when you're doing a film, I just we got off a shoot of a of imagine the lowest budget film you've ever made or watched and then multiply it times a billion. And that's how low budget the film was that I just worked on. And, you know, like it would look like Steven Spielberg. Yeah, <laughs> it's going to be absolutely gorgeous. And it was co-written by a 14 year old girl, but it's, you have to have a no assholes allowed policy. 
it, because you have to become a family because you're, everyone's wearing multiple hats. You know, I was producing it. I was acting in it. I was doing craft services. I was washing the sheets, you know, to clean up the cabins. You you can't have any kind of ego or pride to work. If this is your craft and you love doing it, you have to be prepared to wear lots of different hats. And so when you said, Stephen, about the assholes, I think that's also a gift of getting older because we can say no. We can say, I don't want to work with you. You know, you don't make me a better person. You don't make me feel better about yourself. And you can start to surround yourself by more and more people who are like-minded or, or, or better than you or more interesting than you are. And you get to try and rise to their level and, and be excited to be around them. Yes. Like when we made our short film, uh, Danger Word, in 2013, starring Frankie Faison and Saoirse Scott, it was a family affair. My One of my very best friends, Lucina Fisher, was the director the editor, Terrence Taylor, is a horror writer and also the editor. And just, we lived in a my, farmhouse. My daughter, you know. Yes, Nikki was in it. Appeared as, nice. a, as a, a mother who'd been bitten by a zombie. In fact, we put all our kids in it. There's just, like, there was a whole carload of kids who weren't seen because it was a family affair. We were all, I mean, in this, and you've probably had this experience too, Colette. Like, like at turns, I was telling myself, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. I can't believe this is real. And then like 10 minutes later, it's like, oh, my God, what am I doing here? This is a disaster. <laughs> but it's a beautiful disaster. And, right. that's, you know, and, and that's so that's why acting so much fun. It, 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 just to bring it back to that. Another thing is, as look, as writers, we're introverts. The reality is most writers is we're very introverted. But I mean, not you, Tanana like And not you. And yes, I am. Most extroverted. No, I'm an no, introvert. That, that's acting. Acting. <laughs> <laughs> but you have to, you know, you have to work with other people and talk to other people. And in doing so, you've really got to pull out that extrovert. Actors are all extroverts. You know, that's why they're choosing to go into this crazy profession. So there's such a nice melding between writing and acting where, you know, one can pull from the other in, in discovering your voice and who you are and also just interacting with other people to get them excited about your work. Have you had breakthroughs in fiction that you would specifically credit your acting experience with? I mean, definitely Sister Cities, which was kind of my first my my flagship project, I suppose, because I also did it as a play, a novel and a film. And it's I don't have sisters. I have one brother, but it's about a relationship, a very intense relationship between four very different sisters. And because I played field hockey and lacrosse, I had a great kind of female compound of friends in high school and college. So when I, I, my voice was very much the character I created for me to star in this play a hundred years ago, but the other three characters, I had to find their voice through other people. So I got to put on my acting hat and, and play the what if game. So, and especially when I, when I, it's why, you know, I was listening to you guys earlier and about, I'm a big fan of, I think you jump across genres. If you've got a great story, you can tell it in lots of different mediums, big believer in that. But in the novel, when I really had time to play with the characters, inner voices is when I really got to act each. Mm -hmm. I became each one of these women, this very uptight lawyer, this very bohemian sociology student, this 
this repressed married, you know, field hockey coach and this lesbian author. So I got to play really, I got to act each one. And then again, you kind of act it through your fingers onto the page and it's fun. It's what makes writing so much fun. Do you walk around the house talking to yourself when you're in that kind of, okay, good. (laughs) A little bit, a little bit. Like in the character sometimes, you know, yeah. that's, that's when you're having fun is when you start pretending you're the character, right? Because I mean, I'm not isn't that what you're doing when you guys are writing, you're, you're pretending you're not, you have many, many, okay. I heard you read from your new work and it was so good. And I was so drawn into it when you're reading about these kids and this well, and this horrifying thing, I got you were acting it when you were mm. reading it and you you read it beautifully, which means it's why, again, all writers should take acting cl- classes or lessons or whatever. So they're comfortable reading in front of people and the way that your intonation and your articulation and the way you did the voices, it was so compelling to listen to as opposed to if someone is telling a story once upon a time, there was a girl and she had a dog and the dog died. It, you're not interested, but if if you get into it, once upon a time, there was a girl. And she had a dog, the dog died, but don't worry. You know, when you told your story, you were so excited about it that you made me lean in. And I feel like, I don't know, that that's what acting and writing is, is, is yeah. they're both playing. You're, you're, you're a kid again, you're playing in a playground. You just have better tools because you're older and wiser than you were when you were four or five. We're you know, liars. We're telling lies. We're, oh, we're yeah. spreading, we're constantly spreading things. <laughs> that aren't true, creating people who aren't real to talk about things that never happen. And I love it. I absolutely love it. (laughs) So, you know, I thought about it. It's so interesting, Colette, because I won't name the student, but you probably know who I'm talking about. I came so close to taking an acting class after that improv experience with you. I really got the bug for a minute. And I approached one of the students who is a professional actor to just get his advice on, you know, where would you suggest? And and he suggested himself, but it was like one of those things where it would have been one-on-one. I was thinking more like a Barry situation with the Henry Winkler, and yes. it would have been more of a one-on-one at his place. And I'm just like, nah, I just, nah, he's just too good looking. And not that I don't trust myself, but just that whole energetic did not feel like what I was looking for, where I could let my guard down. Because I I think it's that's really the key to acting you know I think the first step is uh, people who who are bad actors are not coming outside of themselves they're not letting their guard down right isn't that a big part of the problem so I wanted to be more relaxed and, and also a, a, a different word for relax is vulnerable like you yeah. have got to be 100% vulnerable and you have to be vulnerable in your body too so a lot of times even before writing classes I'll have people stand up and do like you know, loosening exercises, because that's an acting class thing, just to loosen your body, because your body is, you know, it, it, it's, it's your vehicle for, you know, they say with acting, don't, don't, act, yes, don't act from the neck up, same kind of thing, like, don't write from the neck up, you've got to, the most interesting hmm. writing from, write from, from the neck, neck up. I like I've it. Never, that's, that's, that's a great line. That may be that may be end up being the, the title of this episode. Would you would you revisit that comment right there and just make sure slow down a little bit and, and, okay. and really make sure we understand what you mean? So in acting classes, you start most classes with exercises. You loosen up your hands, you loosen up your elbows, you loosen up your shoulders, you loosen up your neck, because you cannot act from the neck up. 
because then it's just here. It's all intellectual. It's all your face. It's all your, your voice, your eyes, which is fine, but your entire body is your vehicle. And so many writers, similarly, you can't write from the neck up. You've got to put your entire heart into it. In my opinion, the best writing, and it doesn't matter what genre it's in, makes your heart feel something, makes your heart scared, makes your heart cry, makes your heart laugh, makes you feel something, grabs you and won't let go. It's why when you read a book that you can't stop reading well into the night, it's because your heart is involved along with your mind. So I I feel very strongly you cannot write from the neck up. You have to get your full body involved. I love that. And and along those lines. Full body writing. Because you're so good at this, because I took your workshop and I know how good you are at this. Is there an example of a quick and easy improv exercise that an untrained writer can do, even if it's with their spouse or a child or in the mirror? Oh, yeah. Well, here's a great one. That So one of my favorite writing exercises just to get people writing when they feel stuck is you reach for what's... I'm at my parents' house, so I don't really have a good book. Okay, so here, let's pull. She's looking at her bookshelf. She's choosing a book. So any and book. now she's back. <laughs> so basically, you go like this. So do me a favor, Stephen. I'm going to start paging through. At one point, yell stop. Stop. Around 8 p.m. Monday night, I stopped by to check on her, and she was alert, doing fine. My mom had always been my best friend, but when she dis- when she was diagnosed with MS, everything changed. I suddenly went from being the child to the caretaker. Okay, so I just made that up. I just made right. that up from the book. It's right. Of. What I'll do for writing is I'll make them peel through a book, stop at a sentence, and then for 15 minutes, just write. They read the sentence from the book and they start to write. You can do that as an improv with each other. You can stop at a sentence, read the sentence, and then just start making up a story. The story could go anywhere. It could be a comedy. It could be a drama. It could be a horror, but you're improving it in your head. And it's a great way to kind of no judgment attached, get yourself loose. It's all, improv is all about loosening up. There are lots of, there are lots of games, most improv games, which is why Tanana Reeve, you, you would not have done well in a class one-on-one is because it requires other people to play with. You know, you can, you can only play with your truck in the sandbox for so long until another kid comes along and says, Hey, you want to play with me? That's what improv is. It's, it's playing games and Mm -hmm. it's fun. Improv mm-hmm. super fun. So um, yeah, it can only help your writing. And if you were to I, if you were yeah. to directly say something about the psychology of improv, what would you say? I would say that it frees us up in a world that's incredibly regimented. What it allows, I- and here's the thing with writing. Now I'm a playwright, and when people improvise my improvise my words, yeah. It, it frustrates me because I have a certain rhythm that I need the actors to, and I write very fast paced stuff. So when, even when people add in the, you know, well, I mean, it ruins the rhythm. Mm. So, and in, in films that happens all the time, you know, like a famous, a famous person grabs your words. They're gonna, they think they know how to write it. They're going to make it their own, which is fine. You got paid for them to do that in plays. No, the playwright can say, Mm-mm, I'm canceling the production, which is why I love playwriting. Oh, um, hello. But, 
to get there and in rehearsals, I'm a huge fan of improvising because it helps you bring yourself to the character. You're reading other people's words. You're putting on a dress or a jacket, which is unfamiliar to you. So by improvising who the character is, it's a great way to kind of make it your own. A great acting exercise for that is, you know, uh, okay, so I'm just going to go Shakespeare because that's top of my head. To be or not to be, that is the question. Okay. So you start with what's actually said and then you improvise it. So to be or not to be, I don't know. I mean, I've had a pretty good life up to here. So why would I think about committing suicide? But then, uh, Roe v. Wade. I mean, why do I even want to be in this country anymore? And then, you know, boom, everything, you, you start bringing yourself and your own issues into it. So then when you go back to the text to be or not to be, that is a question whether it is nobler to, because you kind of bring in what you understand from someone else's words. It's hard to say someone else's words and make them believable as your own. But if you start with their words, kind of go off on your own tangent of improvising and then go back to the words and say the words as they are on the page, you'll be amazed at, at the, the truth and authenticity you can find. Oh my God, that's brilliant. I'm, I'm, I love that. I actually, See? I actually want told you she's amazing. To uh, recommend this show as part of our life writing premium program. They'd actually <laughs> give this to our students in that program because you've just been cramming this with exercises. I mean, you've given us about a dozen different exercises. This now you know why I took my free time as faculty and said I'm going to go to her class. You know, just and, and and also you are one of the sunniest people I know, one of the most fun people to spend time with, but you are working so hard all the time. I have to ask you, unless you want to stay on this subject, Steve, because there's more we could talk about. No, no, no. Asking how, especially that comment about one of the sunniest people, because we know that gratitude and positive emotions are so critical when you're trying to take something out of yourself and present it to the world, you're getting slapped back 99 times for every one time you hear yes. Yes. So what are your mechanisms? What do you do to help keep yourself on an even keel? Balanced. What do you do for stress? Okay. Well, first of all, I give it a billion percent to my parents because they raised me with gratitude and optimism. So really all the credit is theirs, taking it the next step. I'm a big believer in exercise and it doesn't mean running marathons, but if you can get out every day and just do 30 minutes of exercise and not be, you know, plugged in, but, but kind of be raising your heart rate a little bit, you know, that serotonin, that dopamine that kicks in and it really does calm you down when when you get bad news, when you're sad, when you're frustrated, when when you're in a bad mood, just get out there and do I like biking. I, I'm a big cyclist. I come up with my best ideas when I'm on the bike. And biking's hmm. not that hard. You know, my heart rate now, I'm I'm kind of tootling along in Burbank on the bike path, but it's just being outside and and moving makes a huge difference. So find something you love to do. If you can't find something you love to do, Find something you love to do that you haven't explored before. Rock climbing, pickleball. The majority of people I talk to who have issues with depression, and we're not talking about clinical depression that needs, you know, lithium or whatever. We're talking about life hits them and they're not recovering the way that they want to or the way they used to be able to. Almost inevitably, these people are not exercising. These people are not moving their bodies. They're up in their heads about it as opposed to connecting. When you connect with your body, you connect with your life drive, the animal drive. One of the things I say to people, you can take 
the most suicidal, depressed human being in the world. And if you stick their head in a bucket of water, they will fight for their life. Because your body knows. Your body wants to breathe. Your body wants to survive. So whenever people are, are caught in those negative head spaces, all that's hap- one of the things that's happened is they've lost connection with their survival drive. The animal's survival drive always wants to live another breath. So that's like first diagnosis. You, you've been knocked off center. You're not, you're, not in, you, you're, you're not touching the third rail of your life anymore. And exercising, especially exercise that takes you through second wind, mm. where you're getting tired, 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 and then all of a sudden, boom, you've got more energy. You know, it's called the neuroimmunoendocrine response. And it is, it is a fantastic thing. So that is like the very first thing I recommend to people. If you don't have that, that's the first thing you need to take care of, you know, because that was our, we're descended from thousands of generations of people who were persistence predators. You know, we could run down horses, walk down horses and worked with their bodies to earn a living. We're separated from that. And the, part of the cost of the modern world is that now we're living in our heads and maybe in our emotions and we've forgotten our bodies. And that, oh, that's so interesting. So I lived that, lived that 100%, 100%. My husband passed away nine years ago, and I went into kind of a year and a half funk where I, I was completely sedentary. I couldn't work. I couldn't create. And and I and I did therapy, but I did therapy from the neck up. Sure, I had yes. a great time talking, talked about all my issues, all my sadness, but it wasn't until I found a boot camp and I started working out that everything changed. The depression got less. I started, that's when, you know, I wrote Serial Killer Barbie. It's when I started writing. My career kind of took off once I started that boot camp because my body got back involved and kind of turned the switch on in my brain because it doesn't work. It doesn't work without the body. So everything you just said, Stephen, absolutely. It's true for me. It's why my, my life changed, my career changed because, you know, I had a horrible travesty happen, but I also, because I kind of found my body in the process, I was able to transform it into something else. And I think it was absolutely my fight or flight. And I finally decided to start fighting and it made. Oh, thank God. I'm so glad to hear that. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Fear. You know, depression is fear with no one to fight and nowhere to run. Mm. So the fear was supposed to motivate us to do something. And when we can't see anything we can do, it literally chews us up and spits us out. So something, some contact with the body every day to remind us. You know, and you know, it, any doctor who looks at a baby that will not crawl, will not explore its environment, taste it, touch, knows that that baby is sick. Yeah. That is a sick baby. From that perspective, most adults in a modern American society are sick. We no longer explore our worlds with our bodies. So yeah. we lose touch with our creativity, our liveness, our energy. We lose touch with our energy. And, yeah, I'm, I'm so glad that you brought, you brought that up. And, and thank you for the gift of mentioning the tragedy in your life and how you got through it. We were not going to go there. Oh, but, yeah. I, you but, have but to the fact that you, you gave it to, to us. Sure. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. That was but a real it, gift it, to our listeners. Oh, yay. And, and, and it's honestly, it's about I'm visiting my parents right now. And, and my mom was so excited because she goes to the pool every day with her noodle and her little like aerobics exercise. And it's it doesn't matter what age you are. 
You know, right. you can be, you know, an octogenarian and and find your joy and your passion in the pool. So it does, also doesn't matter how much do something. It doesn't matter how much intensity by any outside standard. It is what percentage of what you are mm-hmm. are you bringing up? It doesn't matter. You don't. You, you can't talk about what you used to be, what you yeah. used to do, or you'll die of grief. Mm. You know, because our bodies change. Yeah. You know, it, it's the way I look at aging is aging is like building an ice sculpture in the desert. Every day is <laughs> a little less ice. But what you do is you study how to carve it so you can still make something beautiful out of whatever you've got left. You know, and eventually the sands drink us all. But right down to that last little cameo, I'm going to create something beautiful every goddamn day of my life. Oh my gosh, this is so inspirational. I, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I that love is... I love this woman that God gave me to embrace and to support. And every day that I'm with her, I remember I don't know how long I've got her. I don't know how many chances I'm going to have to tell her how much I love her. I know, know like right when I or my daughter that gives sweetness to every day because, you know, I I know that there is a terminus point on here. And I'm determined that I'm going to live. One of the, Somebody that we both really love, Brendan Burchard, mm-hmm. has a question he asks himself in the shower every day. Did I live? Did I love? Did I matter? Oh. You know, was I of service? Did I come from joy and passion? So if you're acting or doing art, or, or writing or whatever, did you take your passion? Did you learn something about your skills so that you can, you know, the, the passion is the fire, but, mm-hmm. but you know, what is that fire motivating? What is it pushing, you know? So it's, this, this to me is the core of what art is, is finding that fire inside you, what Harlan Ellison referred to as the burning core of yourself. And then you take that with your skill and you speak your truth. And you find the tribe of people who, who need your message. I want to hang out with you more. You're so cool. He is very cool. We yeah. should all hang well, out. We will this absolutely, is absolutely, absolutely. I would love. I would love to take one of your acting workshops with Tanana Reeve. I mean, you know? really? And, that just just and, has to happen. Just, I would. I would. I would love that. It sounds. You know, you have your your you have, you have some special things about you. The way you're talking about what it is that you're doing is so simpatico to the conversations that Tanana even and I have. I think you should have your own podcast. Tell she you does, truth. right? Don't you have a podcast? My writing partner and I, have, well, on YouTube, it's called Midlife Mutiny. It's about stop asking for permission to get what you want. Right. Um, it was kind of our COVID activity that we did to keep ourselves sane when Excellent. no one was allowed to go outside. You have a lot I understand. Yes, you absolutely. Yeah. You know, there are lots of people who live in that space of creativity. Not that many of them can verbalize how they got there. Yeah. Absolutely. And I love you giving a shout out to your parents, that, that, that gratitude piece. I just want to circle back to gratitude. Amen. Because it's so important. You know, there's a version of my trip with my father where I could have just been fixated on how much has changed and how much is different and how much he's lost and how much we've lost. And instead, I was just so delighted that I could be there to fix him meals, to show him the book, to watch stand up comedy with him, even watching Family Feud with him. I'm just so grateful for everything we have. I I learned from the loss of my mother. I would knock you over the head if you were dwelling on what was lost, because, you know, I would give anything to have yes. an hour to sit down with my mom. 
Yes, I, I know. Tell her how much I love her and how sorry I am for having been a brat. And that, <laughs> it, 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 that I've remembered the lessons, you know, that that being able to make joy in every day of your life, no matter what is happening, is one of the greatest human gifts that we can have. And our sense of humor, our sense of contribution, our sense of community, our art, mm. our art helps us make sense of existence. It absolutely does. And and maybe this is a great time to start talking about our life writing premium course, absolutely. which is our sponsor. You know, we're about to be uh, platformed like a real podcast with ads. So now it will just be one of our sponsors pretty soon by the time people hear this. But for now, the whole reason we created this podcast was to give listeners an opportunity to hear who we are and how we think and how we feel about writing, because life writing is not just about the craft of writing. Which we know a few things about, you know, as screenwriters and, and novelists and short story writers, but it's the writer's life. It's the writer's life. It's creating basically a hero or heroine out of the writer who's going through the same steps on the hero's journey that your characters are going through or some replication of whatever your hero's journey is when you write so that we don't lose faith when we get those rejection slips or we get, those, you know, when the executive doesn't like your script or I mean, someone steals your work. There's that Abraham Lincoln quote, you know, if you have five hours to cut down a tree, you spend four hours sharpening your axe. You are the axe. Your emotions, your discipline, your executive function, your ability to get up, you know, most of mastery. And I've been blessed to know some real masters in multiple disciplines. Most masters are masters because they could resist the boredom. That you have to do the same things every day, chop wood, carry water, day after day after day. And you have to find a way to bring your enthusiasm to what to task that other people say, I, I don't want to do that again. The master knows he might have to do that 10,000 times and he embraces it. This is my life. This is what I'm doing. As a writer, there are things you have to do every day. And we, we start by saying you write at least one sentence a day. But after that, you know, what do you do? Your reading, your your resistance to fatigue, your resistance to rejection. How do you keep, how do you find your creativity? Well, the easy answer to that is everybody is creative. Everybody goes quietly insane every night. All creativity is in some ways is thinning the membrane between your sleeping, dreaming brain and your conscious mind so that you can tap into that. So... What we did with Life Writing Premium is we created a year-long program. And every month, every week, we give you assignments. We talk to you. We send you videos. This video right here that we're talking about, this wonderful conversation with Colette, this is exactly the kind of conversation that's going to be a part of that program. But we have other people who are also wonderful people to give you their perspectives. And these are successful writers or teachers, people of real knowledge, as well as the very best that Tanana Reeve and I have every week. And this is, you know, we put our, we, we're willing to bet our reputations on it. We're yeah, willing it's... to bet our being that we have actually created something here that's going to be of value to you. This is definitely our flagship course. And like Steve said, it's a subscription. So actually, if you try it for a few weeks and it doesn't work out, you can cancel your subscription and keep it moving. But we would suggest that you stick with it. We have two tiers for people who don't have that much time. You're kind of a beginner and people who want to do a deeper dive. So we're taking care of you wherever you are. Maybe some weeks you'll be one 
kind of student and the next week you might be that more intensive student. Yeah. And if you're at the beginning level, all you have to do is commit to writing one sentence a day and watching one of our videos every week. You watch the introductory video, you, you commit to writing at least one sentence. But then as you do that, you will make contact with your creativity, you'll, you'll, you'll have that conversation between your child self and your adult self, kind of nursing your, your shy self. You know, come on, you know, get up on stage. It's okay. Dance for us. Show us who you are with and have the emotional skills so that when you get those inevitable rejections, it doesn't hurt as much. It's just you got up to bat, you swung at the ball, you missed it, you learned something. You get down there, you watch the pitcher, you watch the other batters, you get back up, and you keep doing that, and eventually you're going to get a home run. Base hits and then home runs. It's going to happen. You just have to have enough belief in yourself to keep getting up and trying, and that means remembering why you started the process in the first place, because life is short and love is infinite. While you're alive, you give people the love you have and the way that you have, and that's all that we can really do. So check out www.lifewritingpremium.com. Lifewritingpremium.com. Get started on your writing journey. Colette, what can I say? You're How can people find you, Colette? Yeah, tell us all the places um, to find I, you. Come to my website. It's just colettefriedman.com. C-O-L-E-T-E-D-M-A-N. Correct. And I'm on Twitter and Instagram. And I, I, I do social media all the time. So but yeah. I want to make sure that our... Our listeners know that I genuinely am thrilled at what you've shared with us today. Oh, yeah, I this is been incredible. This I, I, you know, I'm, so all I'm saying is, this is this is great. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much for being here, listeners. Go out, be the hero or heroine of your own story. Yeah, that's right. Be the adventure. You know, be the hero in the adventure of your lifetime. Take care, and we'll see you next week. All right. Bye, bye, everybody. You've been listening to the Life Writing Podcast. Join us next time for more conversations about creating the project of your dreams. For more information, go to lifewritingpremium.com and get ready to write for your life. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.